You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hey, horse lovers. It's Tell a Friend September on the Horse Radio Network, and we need your help. We know you love our show because you get so much value from it. So we're asking you to spread the word to all your horsey friends. Tell them about us at the barn on the trail ride, in the ring, and of course, on social media. It's a free way to help support the show and spread the love of horses. And while you're at it, drop us a review on your podcast player. That really helps us out. Thank you for all your help in Tell a Friend Month. We couldn't do it without you. Here are some ways to spread the word. Share our social media posts on at EQ Businesswomen on Instagram and Equestrian Businesswomen on Facebook. Tag your horsey friends in our posts. Mention us in your social media posts, share your favorite shows with your friends, or leave us a review on your podcast player. Thank you for your help. We appreciate your support of the Horse Radio Network. We're here to help you learn more about horses, connect with other horse lovers, and have fun. So spread the word and let's grow the horse community together. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you are listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we talked to Dr. Charlotte Lacroix about how to become a better negotiator, build self-confidence, and advocate for yourself. Charlotte Lacroix, DVM JD, is the founder and CEO of Veterinary Business Advisors, Inc. She earned her DVM in 1988 from the University of California Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, completed a large animal internship at the University of Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and worked at an equine medical and surgical referral practice serving northern New Jersey. She earned her JD in 1997 from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Dr. Lacroix is in demand as a speaker around the world, frequently presenting at conferences hosted by North American Veterinary Community and other major veterinary associations, along with numerous radio and TV appearances. Dr. Lacroix contributes regularly to the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association, NAVC's Today's Veterinary Practice and Veterinary Practice News, and publications from AAHA, Veterinary Clinics of North America, and Veterinary Economics DVM 360. She is the past president of NAVC and also has served in leadership roles for AVMA, AAHA, AAEP, NJAEP, NJVMA, and PVMA. Dr. Lacroix serves as an adjunct professor at the University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine. Hi, Dr. Lacroix. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Um, I've had several people recommend that we connect, and we finally were able to uh, a little over a couple of months ago. And um, I think that you have some really great information and really happy to have you. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I'm really uh, looking forward to this. And uh, it's it's well, it was a pleasure to meet you. And I'm hoping that the information we're going to talk about today will be helpful to your listeners. I think it I think it really will will be, and it's something that uh, we uh, Jen and I talk about amongst ourselves um, more, but uh, we wanted to talk a little bit today about negotiating and uh, why being a good negotiator is so important. It's important because life is full of negotiations, whether you're negotiating a cell contract or whether you're at a hotel and you want to get free Wi-Fi. I mean, we negotiate all day long and uh, it really improves your value proposition. So what is it that you're, that's important to you? You know, what's, how do you define success? Um, and it really arises anytime you really want something. And it especially arises, and I think this is when it gets difficult because it creates more conflict in our minds, is when we want something and the person from whom we want it doesn't want to give it to us or they don't want to give us all that we want. So that automatically creates conflict. And, um, you know, I think that's what really makes us uncomfortable and it makes 
women uncomfortable in particular for all sorts of reasons that I'm sure that we'll discuss. Yeah, I think that that you're right. I mean, I think women are pretty uncomfortable about negotiating and I've never thought of it that way that it makes you uncomfortable because it's, it's maybe something that you're not getting that you want uh, from someone. And those are uncomfortable conversations. And I think that's definitely a topic we've talked about before is trying to have those difficult conversations conversations. But can you tell us about the different types of negotiations there are? Yeah, and I I think that's where we have to start, right? Because we really have to figure out what are the foundational principles of negotiation, because I think if we can think of it as an objective way, and then we can start identifying different types of negotiation and styles of negotiation, I think then we're just a little bit more familiar and then better prepared to enter this particular you know, this exercise. So as a general rule, there are two types of negotiation. There's distributive negotiation and there's integrative negotiation. And when you're about ready to enter into a negotiation, it's really important to identify, you know, which one it is. And of course, there's also hybrids where there's a little bit of both. And so that's always a little bit of gray zone. But if you kind of know what type of negotiation it is, you can better position yourself into the style of negotiation you're going to use, and then you're going to recognize the style of negotiation that somebody else is using. So there's a lot of psychology in that goes into this and in anticipating what the um, with whom you're negotiating, what is it that they want, what is their approach, recognizing their approach so that you can actually manage them, right? Because if you're negotiating with the bully, um, you know, being a bully back may not work unless you actually have a superior position or unless you have authority. Um, but if you don't, if you are uh, in a subordinate position or have less to bring to the table, pushing back against the bully is only going to make them more authoritative. And so, um, and I can't overemphasize how much this is all about psychology and communication style. And the key to negotiation is recognizing your negotiation style, recognizing what negotiation style is best suited for the particular set of circumstances and recognizing the negotiation style with whom you're negotiating. And when we deal with distributive negotiation, that tends to be a more competitive negotiation because the relationship isn't important. So you're really competing over a commodity. So, you know, you're negotiating the purchase of a television or you're negotiating the purchase of a cell phone contract or a credit card, or, you know, to the extent that you can negotiate, um, you know, and it's also tied in with supply and demand, you know, at basic economics is that um, if there are more to choose from, you're in a better position than if there's only one to choose from where you have zero leverage, right? Because if you want this particular thing, only one vendor that's going to provide it. And so that's the other important thing to understand is how much leverage do you have? Meaning how many other options do you have? Do you have zero options or you have multiple options? The more options Mm -hmm. you have, the more, the more leverage you have. So for example, if I'm negotiating to buy a television, I can tell them, look, you know, you need to give me a better price here or else I'm going to go someplace else, right? And if they know you can go someplace else very readily, and in fact, if you've done your homework and you've gotten cheaper other places, but you just like this place maybe because it's closer or they have the better brand or whatever it is, um, you know, you might get them to move to where you want it. But there you're competitive, right? You're not, the relationship doesn't matter. When we're dealing with integrative The relationship matters. So you have to be careful about being too competitive in your negotiations because you don't want to leave a bad taste in their mouth. Because if you need them in the future and the circumstances may be different, like you need them more than they need you, then they won't be as nice to you either. And so it will matter. So that's the really hard part is when you negotiate, if it's integrative, be cognizant of, okay, After we negotiate this thing, what's going to be important in the future? So this deals with employment relationships, right? It Mm. deals with landlord-tenant relationships. So if you really want to push your landlord hard, and let's say your landlord's been looking for six months for for somebody to fill the the apartment, and they haven't, and you know that, and you really grill them down. You know, you get the cheapest rate, and you can see that 
you've pushed them. And this is where you, know, you have to pay attention how people react, which is why negotiation in person is the best way to negotiate because you see how people, you see body language, you see how they respond. The next best thing is via the telephone because people will respond. The worst way to negotiate is via emails because <laughs> yeah. it's a linear communication um, and you don't have the human connection. Now, if you have all the leverage then you can negotiate email, right? Because you say, here's the deal, take it or leave it. I don't care, don't need to get to know you, this is it, right? Um, but when you are dealing with distributive negotiation, the relationship does matter. And you should also look as, does the relationship matter to the other person? Because maybe mm. it's distributive to you, but not so distributive to them. Right. So yeah. profiling the negotiation, figuring out what's involved, the pieces, the players, the type, is preparing, basically, that is really, really important, which we're reluctant to do because we're in such a hurry to get it over with because it's so right. uncomfortable. Yeah, that's so true. That, And do you think it takes quite a while for people to be able to recognize what style they use or what style other people are using? Um, or does it depend on the person? Does it take practice? It takes so much practice, but the first thing is you need to know Anatomy 101, which means you should read books on negotiation because they give you the anatomy, then you have to practice. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's different styles. There's the competitive style, there's the avoider, there's collaborative, there's the person that accommodates, um, and then there's people that, comp there's the compromising one. And many negotiations are filled with multiple aspects. Mm -hmm. uh, and you may be like, you know, if you're shot... You know, if you're buying a house, that's often much, you know, competitive. Uh, again, so if you deal with commodities, often it's competitive. Um, in, in my mind, the people that are, well, let me ask you this. Which one, which style do you think is the most difficult to negotiate with? <laughs> um, I think anything that's really straightforward and direct and uncompromising would be very difficult for me to deal with because I would just take the first answer I get and be like, okay, but yeah. I don't, I'm done with it. It's kind of like they're down your throat, right? It's like, okay, yeah, I said, right? that's a very aggressive or assertive, yes. you know, again, especially just, in person. And especially if it's a man talking to me who uh -huh. has some sort of um, seniority or, or something like that, I find that extremely difficult. And I, I either accept what they're saying or I say, okay, well, I'm going to have to get back to you and think about it. And then I would rather answer not in person. <laughs> yeah. And, and power and authority have, you know, a, have an immense influence on negotiations and we often get tricked by it because they might mm -hmm. need us more than we think that they do. Mm -hmm. um, but, and uh, yeah, I, I think what your experience is really what a lot of, you know, a lot of people experience. And, and part of that is trying to figure, okay, why are they at the negotiation table? What is important to them? What do they want? And how badly do they want it? And yeah. those things you find out by questioning, which people don't like to do because they just want to get to the meet and get over it because it's so painful. But it's actually better to say, what are you looking for? Why are you looking for it? How long have you been looking for it? What's important to you? Why haven't you been successful in the past? Or what candidates didn't work out for you? It's really a lot because then they feed you all this information and you can say, well, you know what? I'm that person. Yeah. I'm going to do all those things. But now I'm speaking to them in their terms and then I can up my price. Yeah. Um, what For me, the other one that uh, I find difficult are avoiders because they tend to be passive aggressive, right? Mm -hmm. So they avoid the conversation. You're speaking. You may be assuming that they agree um, because they don't say anything or they give you lip service because they're avoiding. They don't want to create conflict. And then you go off thinking one thing. And then three days later, you find out that like that conversation didn't even happen. Right, and um, it's because they react in totally different way because they couldn't have that. You know, sometimes, well, it's a conversation that's uncomfortable for you know certainly for everyone, and and so I find um, avoiders are really tough to because they're not transparent, and I mm -hmm. I can't deal with the problem if I don't know what the problem is. Right, and I think it's especially tough if it's if it it's one thing if it's people avoiding it because it makes them uncomfortable. It's another of people are avoiding it because they're trying to be deceptive. Mm. And I, I think that's hard to know the difference. Yeah. 
And I, I also feel like those people, it, you, you tend to get your feelings hurt more because you feel like they're backstabbing you in the long run too. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, and, and it told, they totally switched gears on you. Cause you didn't, you know, when you were having this conversation in person, nothing led you to believe that there was going to be, you know, a, a, an issue. And so, and it hurts trust. And once you impact trust in any type of conversation, relationship or negotiation, um, it makes that future relationship very difficult or, you know, mm -hmm. suspect. For sure. Is there any data favoring one style over another? Um, not that I'm aware of, but I would say that the styles are going to be influenced by the set of circumstances, who you're negotiating and what you're negotiating. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to be competitive is better in a distributive negotiation. Um, sometimes avoiding is better um, if time is on your side. Hmm. So avoiding is so avoiding isn't always. I mean, it depends why people are avoiding. Right? Are they avoiding because they don't like conflict? Or are they avoiding to delay, delay because that also f falls into the wear down technique? So yeah, you know, I can wear you down if time is on my side. I'll just come up with excuses <laughs> and avoid. And I'm not doing it because I'm necessarily afraid of conflict, but it's because I hope to wear you, you down. So avoiding can be um, a successful. A negotiation style. So I do believe that all these styles have their place uh, in negotiation and whether it leads to success is really going to depend on the set of circumstances. You're giving me really uncomfortable flashbacks to conversations that I've had with people and <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> going over them in my mind again and being like, oh man, that that was just the worst conversation ever <laughs> well uh, what I the feelings that I'm feeling is like wow I I don't feel like I think fast enough on my feet same me too <laughs> that's another reason that I like email is because I can fully think out what I want to say or how I want to respond and I know it's exactly correct whereas if I'm trying to think right away in a in a quick conversation I feel like Sometimes I just agree because I can't process it fast enough. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quick-witted enough to come back and be like, yeah, this, you know, like I think I would have to do a tremendous amount of research, which is something that is a really good point. I didn't even think about that, but you I think you have to do a tremendous amount of research going into something so that you do have that arsenal so when you need to have a comeback it's there. Is that correct? Well, I think I you can perfectly pause uh, and you can mm -hmm. write down your script. You can have mm -hmm. a script in front of you um, without having to do, you know, email. Um, I like to use email when we're confirming the points that we've discussed. That's really important, right? Because yeah. we can have a 40 minute conversation and then we leave from there. We only remember a portion of it. We interpret a portion of it and then we come back and we're like, well, that's not really what I said. So yeah. that part's really important. So when you think you've come to terms, it's really, I think, is you follow up with an email and says, you know, Mayan, thank you for your time today for the conversation. It was very helpful. I've learned a lot, you know, what's important to you. My understanding is if we've agreed on these points, and then my understanding is we're, you know, a couple of these points are still open because we need to kind of, you know, think about it. And um, I don't think we should hesitate at all to say, you know, I'm, I, I'm just, I haven't thought about it. I need to think about it. I'm not comfortable really responding at this, uh, at this point. So we definitely shouldn't feel pressured to make a decision or to respond. And that's another tactic people use. You know, they'll say, mm -hmm. you know, make, you know, make a decision now. Or, and we see this on television all the time, right? If mm -hmm. you, you know, if you order within the next 20 minutes, you will get this additional, you know, set of Ginzu knives. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah. That's the pressure sale. Or if you've ever gone to these, like these coaching sessions or whatever, or these free dinners, whether it's banking or whatever, they say, you know, they feed you, of course. They give you alcohol, of course. Don't ever estimate, underestimate the power of alcohol, by the way. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, they say, well, you know, if you sign up now, we've got this special. And, it'll, you know, once you leave, there won't be this. I mean, it's really heavy. And those are especially the reasons to say, well, you know, if it's that important to me, I'll pay the difference or I'll come to another meeting a year from now and then I'll take special. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had that happen to me recently. I There was some kind of investing course that I was looking into and they're like, oh, we have like a free 30 minute session come. And then it was like, buy, buy and it's half off. And it was like $4,000. And I was like, 
wait a minute, I, I need some time to think about this. I'm not just going to jump in, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Do you think that women need to negotiate differently than men? Uh, yes, we need to because of stereotypes. And I think men have to negotiate differently than men. Than men have to different, different, negotiate differently than men. And now we have this whole open box of all, you know, other genders, if you will. So um, I, I think stereotypes are our enemy. Um, and, but I think when you're negotiating, you should just focus on with whom are you negotiating, profile them, profile their personality, pro pay real attention to how they uh, communicate. And it depends on your, you know, on how you negotiate, how they negotiate. I think the key is to make people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, for sure, if women speak in an authoritative, confident manner, they will not be, they will be received as yelling they will be received as, you know, the five-letter word that starts with B. <laughs> um, you know, whereas men are, you know, authoritative. But that's because we're still thinking of men as going out there after the woolly mammoth, you know. Mm -hmm. And the only way we survived is the men that went after woolly mammoths, not the ones that went picking for berries, because we were picking for berries. And so um, we like strong men, right? We like assertive men, Um and they've been profiled too. So what do we do with men that aren't assertive? You know, that they are, you know, we consider them weak, you know, even though they might be very good negotiators and actually far more collaborative, far more compromising. Um, so I know that we focus a lot on women and their stereotypes, but I think men have stereotypes as well. And I've met a lot of men that hate negotiating. They hate conflict. That's a personality issue that has nothing to do with their, their, your gender. And, mm. um, so I, you know, I think we're both pushed into stereotypes that make us feel, you know, you know, uh, uncomfortable. Uh, and all I could say to women is, you know, why are you at the negotiation table? Why are that other person at the negotiation table? What is important to you? Prepare, 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 um, and hopefully you're negotiating and recognize tactics, right? If you're negotiating with somebody who's an avoider, very competitive. And, you know, if they're competitive in an, in an integrative re, uh, negotiation, they're mismatched, right? And why are they? Well, it's probably because they feel really uncomfortable and they, they hate conflict. And all they want to do is crush you and move on, right? That's why. Because they have to be very assertive so that they get it over with and move on. Right. Rather than having a discussion that makes them feel really uncomfortable. And so they will. I mean, we will all use tactics that make that really are probably the incorrect tactic, but they are our response to being uncomfortable about having a conversation and negotiate. And of course, this takes maturity. It takes, you know, it's hard for, you know, a 20 year old necessarily to have gone through years of talking and communicating with people and profiling people's communication style. But you can study it and practice it. So in other words, when you're having conversations with everybody, anybody, start to think about what their communication style is. And, and I, I think you hit it on the nail. You only get good at negotiation by practicing and you only get comfortable by practicing and depersonalizing it. Hmm, that's, that's a really good point. I, I think people bring all their baggage into it with mm. who they're talking to or what it's about or how important it is to them. And that I think would be extremely difficult for a lot of people to kind of leave that behind and just focus on what the negotiation is. And I, I like, I like to use humor and sometimes fun sarcasm, uh, <laughs> but do not belittle yourself. We have a tendency as women mm. to be overly humble, but to the point of belittling ourselves, then we're making it too easy for, for with whom we're negotiating. Cause if we, belittle ourselves we've just basically said we're not worthy yeah yeah so and why would they believe us then when yes. we come around and say we want more <laughs> yeah and yeah. so being belittling yourself there's a difference between humility and humbleness and belittling yourself there's a fine line between that and there is no place for belittling yourself and you know certainly in uh, negotiation but connecting with people is also very important 
Get to know the person, personalize it. This is why good salespeople get to know you. Yeah. In many, they really work you um, because they want to, you know, you, they want that, you know, they really want that um, connection. And I think the other tip is anticipate what the other person, why they're there, what they want, what's important to them. And that comes through with a lot of questioning. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about, you know, uh, not being too self-deprecating and, and asking for what we want, how can we become more confident when asking for what we're worth? So I think confident comes with two areas. One is, um, um, you know, basically research in the marketplace. Mm. Um, but well, re- I guess anything research in the marketplace Two, practice and three, um, how valuable are you to the other person? And yeah. that comes through questioning. We don't do enough questioning and that, and that's the preparedness part is prepare questions like, why are they interested in me? What is it that I'm offering to them? Yep. So I had uh, just to share one thing is, um, you know, when we get too quick to a negotiation, that's where conflict is more likely to happen. And so I had this in a negotiation class in law school. And I just remember this example where two people are fighting over an orange and they're so busy fighting over the orange that had they gone ahead and questioned each other as to why do they want the orange? What part of the orange they want? They would have realized that one wanted the inside of it and the other wanted the peel. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And you have to yeah. and question if we're like and children know, where we're yeah. just fighting you know, for the eye without, you know, exploring like, why is that? What's so important to you about this orange? Yeah. I mean, you have to make sure you're on the same level and that you're talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. And what do you think um, holds people back from asking for what they're worth, especially women? Well, I think they don't prepare and they don't self-reflect, dig deep into say, you know, what am I bringing? Because your value is based on what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, so there's a difference between self-esteem and confidence. Self-esteem is how you feel about yourself and that's untouchable territory. The only people that touch those people are your parents. You know, your, but your self-esteem, nobody, you know, whether a negotiation is successful or horrible or you don't get a thing and you walk away with your tail between your legs, that should never impact who you are as a human being because that is that, right? All it impacts is that you didn't get this economic thing that we're negotiating because negotiations typically are about some kind of economic, I mean, I guess there could be some emotional negotiations, but many times in in businesses, it's basically some kind of economic thing. And right. I think people, and this distinction between confidence and self-esteem are two different things. So self-esteem is who you are as a person. Confidence is how you perform out there, what, how comfortable you are. So you could be an excellent, excellent rider, but you actually don't feel good about yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's a lot of people out there. They're excellent performers, excellent singers, excellent surgeons, excellent, what, you know, whatever, but they don't actually feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where you dig deep because... If I'm not successful in getting this, then that doesn't mean I, my self-worth. It just means I wasn't yep. successful in getting this. And yeah. people need to make that distinction. And I think they're afraid because the fear comes from the fact that you personalize it. And don't get me wrong. We all personalize it. None of us not don't like getting what we want, right? That's just, that's just mm-hmm. human nature. But one thing that I learned, because quite frankly, I'm a veterinarian first. I did go to law school afterwards. I've gotten much bolder over the years. And because I'm an advocate for others, I love, you know, I'm a much better advocate for others than I am for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't like negotiating for myself either, especially if it's with a person that I know. It becomes emotional. It becomes difficult. It causes more anxiety. Um, and that's the other thing is know when somebody else should be negotiating on your behalf or, or getting tips because they look at it, you know, certainly objectively. But what I found early in my career is just practice and get used to being said no to because you get said no to enough. You're like, oh, well, I woke up the next day. And um, so I have this example I give in my classes. So I had my son. He was 10 years old. And you can imagine all he likes is plain bagels. And we were at Panera Bread. And um um, uh, 
I went up to the counter and, and I asked for a plain bagel and there was only one plain bagel left. And as I was asking for it, the colleague of the person who I was talking to grabbed that bagel. She turns around to pick up the bagel. She says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We don't have any more. You should have seen my son's face. You should have seen my face you know, because here we saw it. We were all wanted it. And she says, oh my God, I'm so, so sorry. And I said, well, how about we do this? How about you give me, how about we do a sesame bagel and we'll just take the seeds off. And because you weren't able to give me what, you know, what my son wanted, how about giving me two bagels? She says, okay. (laughs) Or, you know, they give you your dessert late and you say, well, you know, we really waited a long time, you know, and sometimes you just say, you know, you know, would you make this right for us? Or, you know, would you mind giving us a discount or, you know, we, and, Okay, so so what if the woman had said no? Big deal. I didn't get my second sesame bagel. If you ask for a free dessert because you were inconvenienced or whatever, I mean, many times good customer service will give it for free or discount, but sometimes they don't ask for it. So what? You had to pay for your dessert, right? So I think when you do a lot of it and the, the, the price is small, you get used to being rejected and it doesn't hurt you. And then it becomes a game. You know, then it's yeah. like, okay, let's see what I can ask for today. You know, and people mm-hmm. say no, but you'd be amazed at the time people say yes, and that gives you the confidence, and it gives you the confidence to ask. And I think that's the key negotiation is the ask. And we're afraid to ask because we're afraid to be rejected. But if you ask enough times and you got rejected a bunch of times, you're going to stop taking it personally. It's like falling off a horse. You know, the first time you fall off, it's a lot scarier than if you fall off a couple. You know, you know, you you, you know, it's like it's not the end of the world. Hopefully, I won't get hurt. Um, but it's like everything in life, right? The more it gets done, the more you get numb to it. Mm. Yeah, I I actually really identify with that because I'm in sales and we've talked about this before, um, how it's the rejection part that a lot of people, it prevents them from being sales people. And one of the exercises that I had read about was asking for something off the menu, that something at a restaurant that's not on the menu or change something on the menu and ask for, you know, a dish without sun-dried tomatoes or whatever to get yourself comfortable asking for something that's, you know, it might be a no, but asking for it. Yeah. Just keep asking because, yeah. and most of the, and I think people are surprised by the number of times people actually say yes. Cause you know what? They don't want conflict either. Most yeah. people want to, so they'll give you what you want, especially if it doesn't cost them, you know, if it's, if it's not, uh, you know, if it's not, it doesn't cost them anything or much, they'll, heck, they'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so how would you say say that like fear factors into all of this? Do you think um, fear factors into self confidence or self esteem or um, rejection? Like, what what do you think? If, if does that play a part, or is it completely like separate? Your fear is different. No, I think the fear is because it hits your self esteem. Because rejection hits your self esteem, right? Mm-hmm. If if I mean, you know if from a, if your family member rejects you or your partner rejects you for remote, whatever that, you know, that's not a negotiation necessarily. Right. Or, or, Mm. um, um, but I think we, when you're negotiating arm's length, I mean, typically these are business negotiations. We take it personally and that's, that's the key is not to take it personally, which, you know, you can't, that's not a button you can switch on and off. You can't not take something personally, right? I mean, that's just, people say that, well, let's not take it personally. Well, I can't not take it personally. I mean, it's not like it just happens that way, right? But I do think if you practice enough and get rejected enough, you'll learn that. I mean, it won't be personal because you feel yeah. that, well, I'm just as good as I was before the, the no happened. Yeah. So I think you kind of touched on some strategies to do that. Do you have any other tips to overcoming fear and being more self-confident? I think fear is embedded because of the unknown. Okay. In in part, yeah, we're afraid of rejection, but we just don't, we don't know what to anticipate, the unpredictableness of it. And I, I think one way to address that is you know, it's really, and I, I've said this before, it's keying out, you know, number one, what is your value proposition to this negotiation? What do you bring to the table? Why am I so great? Why do we, I mean, you must be bringing something, otherwise they wouldn't even talk to you. 
mm-hmm. unless you're totally desperate, right? But if you're totally desperate, I mean, that's where negotiations really don't, there's not much. To, if you're on the bread line, you don't have negotiation, right? right. Mm-hmm. And if you're the monarchy, you don't have to negotiate. Or a dictator, you don't have to negotiate. You just tell people what to do or you cut their heads off, right? <laughs> so it's kind of like a bell-shaped curve. And you should think of that in your head is where am I on this bell-shaped curve? Yep. Yeah. You know, am I on either extreme or, you know, because if, if if the other person is so desperate, then you can just decide what you want because they'll probably say yes. Um, and uh, so I, I, I think, you know, figuring that up, profiling communication styles, um, figuring out your value proposition. And yeah, it's really about being prepared. What, why, you know, what's important to the other person? What can you give them? Can you give them the orange peel while you keep the orange? What's in it for them? One of the buzzwords I think that has become really prevalent lately is imposter syndrome. And, you know, we've heard about it a lot and how, so many people think they suffer from it. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it is and, you know, is it the same thing as lacking confidence or does it mean something different? Part of it is also your personality style. You know, if you're a very empathetic, conscientious, accommodating personality, you know, the people that we all love being around because they make us feel so good because <laughs> they make us feel like it's all about us. Mm. Um, I think if you're more on that spectrum, you're going to come up with excuses as to why you were successful, that it wasn't mm-hmm. you. It's because of what somebody else did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, even if you're not necessarily that personality, especially when you have a good result, that's not something you're used to. You're like, well, how the heck did that happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but here's the thing. Even if you do get help from a lot of people. So let's just say you're, you're, um, you brought this horse to like Grand Prix level, right? And you're the rider. We know you didn't do that by yourself, right? Right. You had trainers, you had grooms, you have the horse, you have a lot. And it's okay. That doesn't take, you know, the fact that you, you were surrounded or you picked the good horse, the fact that you picked the right trainers, the fact that you picked the right caregivers so that the horse doesn't, isn't always angry because they're being kicked in the shins all the time. You know, the (laughs) fact that you put the team together and that all these people helped you and you didn't do it alone does not take away the success that you've done. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I also, cause sometimes, you know, imposter syndrome comes through like, it's just, you or them like, you know, um, and yes, you were successful, but few people are very successful alone anyway. So it's perfectly okay to share that success. And the fact that you're sharing it doesn't make it, does not invalidate your personal accomplishments that got you there to be, you know, also, uh, you know, and let there be no mistake. There's luck too, you know, sometimes being in the right place at the right, the right time, but that's right. not imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, luck is also about opportunity, right? People say that thing, lucky people are because they're opportunists. And, um, so, you know, while you, you know, you do want to reflect on your accomplishments and how other people, um, contributed, you know, you also want to, you should, you know, you should take credit for it. And, and that's, but, you know, but there's humility too, because then there's a whole bunch of people that are so darn arrogant and all they do is walk on other people to get to, you know, the, the, the point of fame and they, and they're on the opposite spectrum. They're like, Oh, it's all about me. And I did it all by myself. And, but they couldn't have done it without all these other people. So we don't want to create those type of people either by talking about this imposter syndrome. But I think you have to think about, you know, like, yeah, I did do this and yeah, people did help me, but that doesn't mean that it, that I didn't achieve it also. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a great way to recognize it and, to still be able to feel good about yourself when you accomplish something. I think that's really important too. I know I always think I, I'm not very good at this. I think I totally have imposter syndrome where I'm always like, Oh, I, you know, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I hit my numbers for my sales goal. (laughs) 
<laughs> I often like, I don't know, but yeah, I think I, I need to probably own it a little better that, yeah, there's been people that have helped me along the way, but I actually did do work to get there. Right. Yeah. And sales is one of the most, I mean, I mean, if you hit your numbers in sales, you did do a lot of things, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to have a good product too, because you don't have a right. good product sales, people aren't going anywhere. True. Right. So, um, but you know, sales is, yeah, it's it's difficult, you know, because you get rejected and and, yeah. and yeah, and sometimes you you have a great product, but you don't have the supply chain, and people's like, like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> yeah, right. Abs- yeah, absolutely. That that has actually happened to me in the last year. <laughs> so yeah, um, so I know that um, people define success differently. Uh, why is it important to define success? Well, because that's going to set what you're looking to achieve, right? So, what mm-hmm. makes you happy, or or what's what? How do you define success in this particular circumstance? So, you know, maybe you're negotiating a higher salary, but why do you need that higher salary? Have you done a budget? Do you have dreams you want to fund? Um, and why do you have dreams, right? Because it makes you happy. It fulfills your inner self. Um, and success means very different things to different people, right? Sometimes time is more important. Other things, you know, time, tangible things are more important. You know, it's kind of like the five love languages or the five languages of appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what 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 makes you happy? What defines success? Because money isn't always, you know, the answer. And I, I coach employers all the time and they say, well, I want to offer all this salary. And like, did you think about asking the candidate what's important to them first before you just throw money at them? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because we have the assumption, yeah. yes, and and unfortunately, what is important to us, we think is important to other people, and that's not yeah. at all the case, right? Right, right. And um, that's why I love the five languages of appreciation, and especially in the workplace, because then you see what motivates people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we just fail to ask is like, what's important to you? Uh, but you have to be then be ready to answer that question, not like. Oh, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I'm asking for this amount of money because that's because that's what the fair market value is. Well, what else is important to you that we can offer you? Cause I can't pay you that high of a salary, you know? What, yeah. Um, and you know, you, you just have to look deep and I was, what is I reading? I don't know if it was an Instagram or whatever, but we spend very little time relaxing and self-reflecting, you know, cause we're, we're either social media or on the telephone, I mean, a television or, or street or whatever. We are constantly on the move. We, it's like yes. we're ADD. We just don't spend yes. time to say like, like, why am I in this job? Mm-hmm. What makes right. me happy about this job? You know, yeah. why are my coworkers, why do I like my coworkers, you know? And gosh, they seem like such basic questions, but I don't think we sit down and ask them because then you'll know what your value prop is. Like, I love this workplace because, yeah, I'm paid well, the benefits are great, but the coworkers are just awesome. Yeah, yeah. You could be making more money and if you're in a miserable place where everybody is mean to each other, then it certainly is not the same. Yeah, and maybe, you know, and sometimes success for people is like, well, you know what? Success for me is just letting see where life goes. I don't want to really make decisions or well, it's mm-hmm. whatever, however life unravels is fine with me. I mean, there are people like that, you know, and For sure. that's fine, but that's okay. Cause we each define success differently. As long as you know, it's, if it's a self-awareness issue for me, like, are you aware of what your, 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 your path that you're taking? Yeah. And, and do you think that helps you position yourself to, to achieve what you want to achieve? Sure. Yeah. It, mm. It'll define it and it'll define how you execute it too. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't really right. think about that. Are there any key ways to like kind of define success for yourself? Or do you have any tips that people can kind of work themselves through that process? Well, I think it's questions like, why am I here? Why am I happy? Why am I unhappy? What would make me happy? You know, and you know what? That's a really hard question. Have you ever asked yourself what makes me happy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of course we have to have money and food and, you know, minor entertainment, which we all, you know, hopefully you you can have those basics, but beyond that, it's a hard, it's a really hard question to answer. Yeah, it definitely is. 
I know um, recently I was having a conversation with a family member who's been approached by another company and, you know, he wants to potentially um, move companies. And one of the, that's kind of what I walked through with him is like, you know, what are the benefits and is it going to give you more time with the kids? And, you know, they had all of these things and, and offerings for like education and whatnot. Um, and, you know, I know financially he wants to provide for his family, but he also looks into the future a lot. So uh, one of the things was this education that they were going to give him. And I was like, you know, that's really good that they do that. But, you know, you need to sit and think about uh, you have two kids. Are you going to have time mm. with the kids to like process through education? And even though that might get you further in the long run. So, you know, I do think that... Um, you have to kind of ask yourself those questions. Yes. Like money and being in the long run, that might be great. But like right now, can you actually handle that to in your life? Right. And that's that balance. Right. And the thing is what's important to you now may not be what's important to you. And that's the other thing, allow yourself to change and allow yourself to say, well, had I known that's okay to make mistakes through life. I mean, life is a journey. Yeah. Right. Yep. And you touched on this before of, you know, I mean, we've kind of been speaking from the perspective of someone who is asking for something. If you're on the other end and someone's asking you for something and you can't provide it, kind of what are other ways that you Well, can you can't provide it? So mm. I think that's it, like you you can't provide it or you don't mm -hmm. want to provide it. So can't provide it means you don't have the authority. And this, you know what? I'm so glad you said that because you... You should not negotiate with somebody who doesn't have the authority. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. and in fact, a lot of good negotiators will put a middle person who'll say, Well, let me check. You know, I'm really all in for you. I think this is really reasonable. They go up to upstairs and they come back and say, I'm sorry, they just can't do it. Yeah. Right. So then now you're not mad at them, but it seems more final because you can't actually talk to the person who actually has the position the decision making power. So yeah. This is the other thing. Sometimes I enter negotiations and say, you know, this is what we're going to talk about. Do you have the authority to make those decisions? Right. Uh -huh. And if they say no, I'm like, well, let's, you know, and if I have leverage, I'll say, well, then, you know, let's have this discussion. Or, or before I set up the negotiation, is everybody who's going to be there are people who actually have the authority? Yeah. Because I want to hear their reasoning and I want them to hear my reasoning. Yep. And if you are the person with authority who can make those decisions and, but you just don't have the, the capability or the, the yeah, either don't financial well, ability to, to provide that. How do you go back to them? Well, or I mean, it depends. This is where creative negotiation is. It says you say, "Well, what you're asking for, I'm not capable of doing because I have these guardrails." Mm -hmm. But let's find, let's figure out a way to get there. Can yeah. we creatively come up? And then when you invite somebody into the process and invite the guardrails, if you're genuine, because some people make up guardrails, mm -hmm. um, then maybe you can solve the problem together. They may help you think of things that you really, you know, hadn't thought of. Um, and I mean, there's things, you know, there's, can we revisit this or can we delay this? Or can I give you value in someplace else? Is something else more important to you? Like, for example, I can't give you more money, but I can give you more time off or I can give you more benefits or, mm -hmm. um, uh, but if you invite someone to solve the problem, they will feel empowered and they will then also feel like you tried. And then they just have to make the decision is, are they willing to give that up in exchange for, you know, moving forward under, not, you know, not the hundred percent terms that they wanted. And this is why, I mean, when anybody negotiates, um, they have their wish list and you should think of this cognitive or envision that says, okay, this is really where I want, but this is what I need. And mm -hmm. there's that, that continuum between what you want and what you need. And, um, um, of course you're negotiating what, what you want, but the other side is negotiating that as well. And you're seeing their wants, but you don't necessarily need, know their needs. So you don't know how low they can go before they say, well, it's not going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. I, I can't, you know, if you charge me this much, like for example, let's say somebody's charging you X price for stalls, stalls, and you could afford it, but you rather not. And that for them, you know, that might be what they're asking for, but it's what the, not what their need is. So the negotiation gets you closer to perhaps what you want, 
And, and as long as it's above what they need, you can strike a deal. But if what you're willing to pay is below what they need for their own budget, you won't be able to strike a deal. Yeah. We kind of spoke about this, I think, earlier at the beginning when we were talking about stereotypes, um, gender stereotypes, and how women tend to be less liked when they become successful and men become more liked when they become successful. and we were wondering if there's a difference between quote unquote being liked and being respected in the job that you're doing. There's a huge difference of course. Um, but that difference is only going to matter if the other person makes that distinction and you actually care. Right. So the other, mm-hmm. here's the thing, you are not going to be liked by everybody. Yes. Nor should yeah. you care. <laughs> yeah. Right. But when you're a professional, even though you may not be liked, you would hope that you would be respected. Mm-hmm. And yes. in my mind, you know, respect comes with being, having integrity, you know, transparent to a certain degree and, and honest and clear about what's important to you and, you know, and, you know, what's not. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and I've had clients say to me that, I mean, I have companies who make disparaging comments about, but that is more reflective of them than it is of me. And I don't make disparaging mm-hmm. comments of other companies. It's just, right. you know, they're either, you know, they, they do what they do and that they're entitled to do that. And we just work as, you know, based on whatever the client wants. So, um, but I, I think sometime, well, I don't know. But I, I think we feel that we're judged. And sometimes women are worse against women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes men are patronizing. <laughs> they don't even sometimes. Take you yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think I would rather be disliked than patronized. You know, because at least if they dislike, then they actually have something that they've stuck their teeth in. If they patronize me, they haven't even given me the day of, you know, day of, day of, day of light or day of time or um, time of day. Time of day. Thank you. <laughs> We're getting towards the end of the interview. We can tell. So, um, you know, the, the, the time of day. But here's the thing. You cannot control other people, how they view things, how they think about it, because that's their own psychological baggage, right? Mm-hmm. All you can do is I go through my day. I do the right thing. I don't have to be full, disclose everything. If somebody asks me a question I don't want to answer, I just say I'm not comfortable answering that. I don't lie about it. Just say, look, I'm not comfortable or let me think about it or, or whatever, or no, I, you know, we'll agree to disagree. I just don't agree. But if you're prepared, you'll have some kind of, I think logic is important. It's focusing on logic as opposed to emotions. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, those, that's business physiology 101 is you're, you're going to have a better argument if it's based on logic and, and you might be wrong and it's okay to be wrong. Say, you know what, you know, or you might be persuaded you know, that that your position is not as strong as you thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, the logic versus emotions part is difficult for a lot of people. And I think that takes practice as well in, you know, making sure what you're coming back with and what your arguments are, are based on, logic and reasoning rather than well it's just what i want and that's just yeah. how it should be <laughs> and your failure is not you're not a failure the negotiation was a failure there's a huge mm-hmm. difference you're mm-hmm. not a failure right that's a self esteem for like you're not a failure but the negotiation failed but that's okay you lick your wounds and you come back for another day yeah. And you keep, you know, they've shown, you know, that people that's got grit and perseverance are really people that get to the end game because they don't give up. They pick themselves up and they say, look, you know, it just, I'm, uh, I'm going to move forward. And yes, am I going to get some battle wounds? Yes. But what, does, what is it? Doesn't kill me, makes me stronger. But that, you know, that does take certain personality and it's personality straight, but it takes support of your friends too. So lean on your friends. I think that's another tip is... Mm-hmm. Go, maybe your friend will say, well, you know, Charlotte, that's, I don't know. I think that's really unreasonable what you're asking for. Well, maybe yeah. you needed that wake up call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The people that are actually honest with you and know when to say that you're being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
people say necessarily, oh, I got this great deal, whatever. You know, things are never as simple as they appear either. Um, <laughs> so I would say be careful of that too, because, you know, there are always nuances behind the scenes that people don't necessarily share. And you're like, gosh, why didn't I get that deal? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Never fall for what's too good to be true. Oh, we love it. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, it was such a pleasure talking with you today. And, and I think we've learned so much. Um, and I hope that our listeners get a lot out of this episode because I think it was jam packed full of <laughs> so much helpful information. And we could have talked for another couple hours about it. But um, at the end of every episode, we ask the same four questions to each guest. And Connor starts with the first. What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I think to self-reflect and to pause and think. Absolutely. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? I got three here. One is keep smiling. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to be in denial (laughs) and keep smiling. And then the third one is uh, discipline and, you know, and pushing through. All while you're smiling. <laughs> yep. So, you know, it's funny about your keep smiling. I was listening to a podcast earlier today and they were talking about this exercise that's, that this woman does where even if her kids are being complete monsters, she takes herself back to or she takes herself to a place where she's an 80 year old woman looking back on the moment and she's trying to be grateful for being back there for five minutes so that she can enjoy it when her Ah. kids were young and all of that kind of stuff and I was like oh that is really interesting I mean I can't imagine every no. scenario that I'd be like oh I want to be back there but you know it was it was just funny because it was kind of the same thing like you have to like appreciate and smile and and she can turn it right back on that she's smiling away and I was like wow <laughs> that, that speaking of practicing that would take <laughs> a lot of practice like when you're in the middle of blood curdling screaming and breakdowns yeah I could see where <laughs> <laughs> I could see where it could help, but that would be difficult sometimes. Yep. Keep smiling. I like that a lot, though. (laughs) Well, we remember, Eric, times in our lives, I guess, where we were going through difficult moments, and now we look back on them, and it was like, well, that was a a badge, a badge of honor, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just another brownie badge, (laughs) a Girl Scout badge. And if I made it through that, then I can make Mm. it through lots of things. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What's your favorite... Horse movie. Black Beauty. (laughs) That's a goodie. That's a goodie. Oh, it's such a beautiful story. You know, poor horse that's dragging, pulling these carts and gets saved. (laughs) And it's just a nice story. Yeah. (laughs) And the last question, uh, who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? Oh, I know somebody, a very good friend of mine who, oh, actually, you do need to get her on this podcast. Her (laughs) name is Judy Gray. She's in her 80s. She's a mentor of mine. She exudes grace. She um, has been CEO of multiple companies. And until she recently retired, she was an interim CEO. She's been in the biggest executive boardrooms you could imagine. Um, And she is in, there is not an aggressive bone in her. You know, she delivers like she, I don't know. She she's just so graceful, and you know people could be a little bit assertive or they, they get aggressive. Her she's not aggressive, but she still gets what she wants. I mean, she's so mm-hmm. magical. She's just <laughs> magical, and I would, um, I would love. I mean, she's she's not into horses or anything, but um, mm-hmm. she is world experience, and um, oh, she'd be a great person for your podcast. She really would be awesome. I'll ask her. <laughs> that would be yeah. great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been really, really great. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to come on with us. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Really enjoyed uh, meeting with you and um, good luck with this wonderful podcast. Thank you. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Take care. I think that was an enlightening conversation 
with Dr. Lacroix, you know, we've touched on some of these subjects before, such as negotiation and um, defining values and knowing what you're worth. But I think she really put it in very uh, succinct terms. We've never talked about really identifying types of negotiation and what type of negotiator you are. So I thought that was extremely helpful. Um, and yeah, I think I learned a lot from listening to her explain all of those ideas. I, I think that she did a great job explaining that. And also I really liked when she was kind of talking about that. It's okay to take a pause. Um, when I was saying how I'm uncomfortable, you know, in negotiations, because I don't feel like I'm quick witted. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that. She like gave permission to say, you know, you don't have to answer that right away. You can think mm -hmm. about it. You can take a pause. You can say, I'm not comfortable answering that at this time. And I really, I didn't think that that was something you could do in the middle of a negotiation, but it makes me feel better so that I don't feel stupid um, or I don't just become complicit and say, okay, yeah, whatever you want, here you go. That right. I, that I, I should have the ability to sit back and say, no, you know, what? I need a minute and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I liked uh, when we were talking about, value and your self-worth and your self-esteem and in projecting confidence. I I think it's always interesting to hear what others think about you because I feel like sometimes it's so vastly different than the way you feel about yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, you were talking about kind of imposter syndrome and how you don't always feel like you understand why um, things have happened the way they've happened. And yeah, I kind of feel that way too sometimes. Um, and the way that some people um, look at me or, or describe me and okay, well, I didn't see that, but that sounds kind of good. Or, you know, once somebody said to me, um, that I was described as not particularly warm, but that I did a good job and that I, you know, was good at, at what I did. And I was like, huh, because I felt in that situation, like I had really good friends. I got along really well with everyone. Like, you know, we spent time together and I was like, oh, do people think I'm not like easy to or nice to work with? I don't, I, it was really yeah. odd hearing that, um, that reality versus what I interpret. Yeah. And I, I also think that we, you know, we do judge ourselves a little bit. And I think that part of her saying that, like, we can't, in the same respect, you also can't take what people are saying about you too personally. Right. Right. And, and that, you I know, at that time, I was yeah. like, I, it kind of hurt my feelings. And then I was right. like, well, who cares anyways, because I know what relationships I have with people. I know that people there like me and I, I also know that I do a really good job. So, um, I was able to kind of work past it after the initial, like, um, you know, feeling a little hurt by hurt. it. Yeah, I know. I, I think we get our feelings hurt a lot <laughs> as women. Just, I mean, you, I hurt my own feelings, right? <laughs> right. But, but um, you know, sometimes I uh, like to subscribe to the, it's none of your business what other people think about you. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that before? And, yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of true. Like it probably, it it's probably better that way that I, I don't think about what other people saying, even though I do like to be liked. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's where it's a, when we were talking about that part of it and women being successful and, you know, liked being versus respected. And I was mm -hmm. like, I mean, I, I guess I respect is important, but at the same time, I really do want people to like me. So yeah. I have a hard time handling the, you know, if somebody doesn't like me, I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I'm likable. I'm adorable. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I actually it kind of in that same line of um, thinking today, I came across this quote online and, you know, I, 
I didn't research this, so don't hold me to it. But it said that Tupac said it. And it said, just because you lost me as a friend doesn't mean you gained me as an enemy. I'm bigger than that. I still want to see you eat, just not at my table. Oh. And I was like, that's really good. Like, Mm -hmm. that really... And, you know, so, yeah, we might not be friends, but it doesn't mean we have to be enemies either. Yeah, that's (laughs) a good point. You know, and I think that goes along with negotiation and not, you know, taking things personally when it doesn't go your way. Right. And she said, you you know, if you are negotiating, you do kind of have to remove the emotion out of it and just rely on the logic side of it. Um, And I really, you know, she mentioned many times how important practice is and um, that is something that I think most people don't take into consideration. They don't take the time to do it and you you really need to work on these skills if you want to be good at them like anything else. Well, I agree. I mean, I so I had uh, applied for another position at my company and I have a friend who helped me out tremendously practicing for that job. It's different than what I do. I didn't get it. That's okay. I tried it though. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to pick apart my resume and pick apart the job description and practice those things. And she and I did a call where she pretended to be the interviewer and mm-hmm. you know, I had to go through it. And I was thinking about that when, when, Dr. LaCroix was talking about that because um, I feel like it's the same kind of thing, like going into negotiation, you have to like do your research on the people and, you know, on On the company and and on the company, on, on everything um, and really take a lot of self-reflection too. I mean, it's amazing the amount that you really have to put in uh, to do just even probably a simple negotiation. Mm-hmm. If you want to be good at it and you want the results to be in your favor. Right. And you talked uh, and she did as well about starting small and, you know, in your everyday life, trying to negotiate things. And um, there are ways to to easily fit that into your day without having to be like, oh, I have to set aside an hour of practice and homework. Right. It doesn't need to be like that. It, it and I think it's probably better for you if you're doing it, you know, naturally and and working on things as situations arise in everyday life rather than always um, trying to, you know, s- manufacture a situation. Right. Yeah. Like sitting down and practicing and sitting in front of your computer and be like, this is, you know, this is what the scenario is. So this is what I would say. No, like, no, go to your, go to the grocery store and be like, hey, you have two day old bagels. Can I have them for a dollar off? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or something like that, or go to the restaurant and, you know, I've been doing that more often, just changing something, asking for something differently and not just taking whatever the standard is just to get myself. I think it's helped actually. I really yeah. do. That's great. Yeah. So excellent episode. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I'm glad that we had her on. And mm-hmm. I know that we're um, going to look forward to the next one. But today you can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. If you want to learn more about us, visit eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so other people can learn more about us as well. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go define your success.